0: all right everybody hey welcome back to the and praise broadcast it's the second half and y'all know the deal i'm so grateful to be in your ear for what god would have you to hear no doubt about it hey look here and you know the deal it is that god would have dr gregory crew he's the host of making a difference through mentorship that broadcast is happening guess what Right now, so without further ado, let's go ahead and get orientated to the host of making a difference through mentorship. He is Dr. Gregory Crew. Yes, sir. What's going on, Dr. Crew? How you doing, sir? Well, bless you, Stu. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice
1: and be glad in it. We want Tell to me thank about it. You, Stu for being such a blessing to the body of Christ through the Triumphant Praise broadcast. We want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this evening. Stu, as you know, we have some very special guests with us this evening in the persons of Dr. Michelle Neely, uh, Dr. Melissa Gonzalez, and Colonel retired Lawrence Stewart. As we introduced to our audience last year, uh, last month, Dr. Neely is an educator, an educational consultant, and racial equity consultant. Her work as an educator includes coordinating global studies initiatives, uh, spearheading fundraising efforts, designing professional development and experiential learning. She's the founding associate principal of teaching and learning at the Barack Obama Male Leadership Academy, a nationally recognized blue ribbon school in Dallas, Texas. Currently, Dr. Neely is the principal of Katherine Johnson STEM, that science, technology, engineering, mathematics academy in DeSoto, Texas. As an educational consultant, Dr. Neely helps educators and organizations assess and implement educational standards. She is a guiding force in improving opportunities and shaping the academic experience in the lives of students, parents, and educators across the country. In addition to global studies, Dr. Neely volunteers with Connect Teach to provide community programming and consultative services focused on racial equity. Dr. Neely, thank you once again for being with us this evening. So glad to have you.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: And secondly, my friend for many, many years, Dr. Melissa Gonzalez affectionately called Dr. G is a seasoned educator and certified life strategist. She has the capacity to teach beyond the subject, imparting both wisdom and practical knowledge, a unique quality that distinguishes her in academia and beyond. Having felt the profound void of guidance and direction after losing her mother, Dr. G drew inspiration from anyone who seemed to be living wisely. Now she helps others navigate life and inspires them to seize the opportunity for personal and professional growth. To that end, Dr. G is a passionate uh, helping professional, helping people to capture their dreams and to live the life that they imagine. She has over 20 years of management and leadership, experience in higher education and behavioral health. For 22 years, Dr. G has served as a professor of psychology and of various courses in workforce education. She is a member of a local foundational board and volunteers as a facilitator for conversations surrounding social issues. Dr. G, once again, thank you for being with us this evening. So glad. Thank you for having me. And also tonight, I'd like to introduce uh, to our listening audience, Colonel Retired Lawrence Stewart a 27 year veteran of the United States Army. He is currently employed with the Harker Heights, Texas Police Department as an administrative officer to the chief of police. Colonel Stewart has a bachelor's and master's degree in criminal justice and a master's degree in military operational arts and sciences. His military education includes the military officer, police uh, basic and advanced courses, the combined arms, service staff school the air force command and staff college the anti-terrorism level two basic course tactical commander developmental course and the army war college colonel retired Stewart is also currently serving as an ordained deacon at the church where i attend at the christian house of prayer colleen texas under the leadership of pastor valerie holcomb And Colonel Stewart, we want to welcome you and thank you for being with us this evening. So glad to
3: have you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Dr. Crew, for having me.
1: Well, tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we want to get right into our segment. Uh, What we want to begin with, for those of you that did not have the opportunity to be with us last month, we want to ask Dr. Neely and Dr. G to give us a brief summary of uh, what we discussed on last month. And this is part two of how to reach across the racial divide. So, Dr. Neely, if you would please provide our audience with a brief summary of the principles and precepts that you shared last month.
2: Thank you, Dr. Kuhl. One of the most profound uh, components of our conversation last month was that um, racism can be combated through relationship and through love. Love is the key and it's the nucleus of how we transform the community at large. Um, In order to really understand what that looks like with respect to racism, we've got to keep things in order. Um, First understanding that God is the creator, we are the created, all of us are the created. And it's a requirement of uh, our father to make sure that we are loving everyone regardless of, of race or orientation or anything um, with the love of Christ. And so that was uh, the gist of our conversation. And um, I think Dr. Gonzalez will add more to that.
1: Well, thank you so much for that summary, Dr. Neely. Dr. G, please provide our, our listeners with the brief summary of what you shared on last month's broadcast.
4: Last month's broadcast was like a whirlwind, and so there was so much, um, and and I know I can't tell it all in in this time and space, but I will share the three things that really stood out to me, the three things that have been with me since our last time together. One, a relationship with Christ is pivotal to bridging the gap in the racial divide. Two, With the current state of the world, people need time and space to process their emotions Mm. and prayerfully they get to a place uh, where they can move forward. But they do need time and space to do that. And finally, three, if change is going to happen, it will start with the believer. Mama, Mm -hmm. that's right. Mm
1: -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you ladies so much for Uh, providing us with that foundation and that summary from last month. And for uh, all of our listeners, if you'd be interested in getting an audio copy of the full uh, session from last month, you can certainly contact us through triumphant praise with uh, Stu's Facebook page, and certainly my own Facebook page. Um, We will provide that information at the end of today's session. So as we go further into today's session, uh, the topic is how to reach across the racial divide and this is part two a uh, community connection when you think about the word community it really actually simply means a community of unity or we commune together and we're unified in our uh, union sounds Good. it sounds kind of It's it's a great word for understanding because if a community is divided, then the problem is only going to expand itself. But when there is a community connection, when we're connected at the heart of the struggle or the issue, we are better together. And so as we move further into our discussion for tonight, uh, last month and tonight, we begin with the foundation or the platform in John chapter four, where Jesus... uh, had a conversation with uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. In John chapter four and verse seven, there were four simple words that Jesus used to reach across the racial divide or to begin the conversation within that particular community. So Jesus says to the woman at the well in John four and seven, give me a drink. And with those four simple words, Jesus reached across the racial divide. Segregation and separation was a reality between Jews and Samaritans during this era of of their nations, which the Samaritan woman reminded Jesus of when she said to him in John 4 and 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She was surprised that Jesus was even talking with her. And the disciples themselves, they were shocked that Jesus even spoke to her by their uh response in john 4 and 27 and yet because jesus reached across the racial divide to share living water the life of god with her a two-day revival broke out in samaria in the entire nation that's noted for us in john chapter 4 verses 39 through 42. all because jesus made a decision to reach across the racial divide. And as we know, the racial divide is not a new problem, but it is still a problem. And one definition of a problem that I came across is something that has to be solved or an unpleasant or undesirable condition that needs to be corrected, a hindrance or an obstacle for moving forward. So the aim of making a difference through mentorship, time together tonight is to provide principles and precepts that have the potential of solving the problem of the racial divide, making a difference in the world in which we live, and you make a difference one life at a time. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to tonight's session of making a difference through mentorship. So we begin tonight, Dr. Neely and Dr. G with this One particular question or our opening question. Last month, you talked about unconscious bias. Dr. Neely, we'll start with you. Please, ma'am, if you would share with our audience, what is unconscious bias? And then Dr. G, will follow up with you with the same question. Dr. Neely.
2: So unconscious bias is either a prejudice or a judgment, either in favor of or against somebody or a particular group. Um, as it is, as this group is compared to another group. So uh, when you break that down into very layman terms, it's um, unfounded uh, perspective, if you will, of an individual that impacts how they behave and how they communicate and how they deal with someone that they perceive to be um, different than themselves and those in their group.
1: Okay, yes, ma'am. Thank you for that. Dr. G,
4: same question. She said it perfectly. So unconscious bias, which is also known as implicit bias, is the underlying attitudes and stereotypes that people unconsciously attribute to another person or group of people that affect how they understand and engage with those people or that group. Uh, if, if you would allow me uh, to, to discuss then how unconscious bias drives actions and decisions. And I'll do that from a personal perspective. So whenever I'm too quick to define a person mm-hmm. or his or her attitude or behavior, because I understand unconscious bias and what it is. I ask myself a simple question. Why would any reasonable person think or behave in a manner that that person has? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We talked uh, last month about facing some things. And so when we ask ourselves questions, it really does help us to face then that unconscious bias that might be within us. Now, admittedly, sometimes I have to dig really very deep to find a plausible reason for why people think and behave the way they do. Notwithstanding, asking that question helps to disarm my own biased narrative. Mm. For instance, why would a casually dressed white woman not get into an elevator with a black man who's wearing Mm. a business Mm. Mm suit? One reason could be that she's prejudiced. Mm-hmm. and is distrustful of Black men. Right. Another right. reason could be that she's distrustful of all men and wouldn't get into an elevator or closed space with any man.
1: Excellent example. Yeah.
4: Conversely, uh, why would a Black man be upset that a white woman refuses to ride in an elevator with him? <laughs> right. Well, one reason could be that he's experienced so much pre- prejudice Uh, even when he looks the part of an accomplished man.
1: Yeah.
4: But another reason could be that he has to go to the restroom and he just held the elevator for 30 seconds for a woman who's not even getting on. (laughs) So um, those are the kinds of things that really do affect how we behave and then how we think. Maybe mm. we'll get a chance to talk about the whole um, the, 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 the brain part of this. Uh, maybe we won't, but there's a lot there. Uh, anyway, <laughs> admittedly, I'll say additionally, uh, I ask questions rather than make assumptions. So we're still talking about unconscious bias. This yeah. is very easy to make assumptions, uh, as you can see in, in the example I just gave. But I attempt to resolve my own misunderstandings and disagreements immediately by asking questions. The idea is to have a meaningful interaction that leads uh, beyond the current state into a more authentically productive one.
1: Wow, excellent, excellent. And again, you know, when you talked about asking questions. And, and, I de- and I would dare say that most of us have learned if you don't ask the right question, then you potentially won't get the right or the best answer for that scenario. So um, questions are a powerful tool um, for helping us to bridge this racial divide. And so our next question tonight, Dr. Neely, we'll begin with you. Um, how does my unconscious biases drive my actions and decisions? And then Dr. G will come back to you. Dr. Neely.
2: The Our unconscious biases uh, provide power that we leverage in all manner of situations. Um, and for instance, um, in my particular situation, I have the opportunity to hire and, and, and choose individuals uh, collectively with my team who might best suit and meet the needs of, of students. Um, if I have a particular feeling against or about a particular group of people, then it's highly likely that I won't see that person that could come in and, and fit that, you know, my biases, um, they fit the bill for those, that I won't even see them as a person. And that is a systematic thing that has happened in so many um, areas in, in in our lives. So how we how we uh, decide who who's worthy of friendship and time has to do with our biases. How we determine how we're gonna work with people and if we trust people or not. All of those things um, are impacted and basically informed by our biases. And what that does is, unfortunately, it limits us. In the 50s, um, there was a group of people who didn't want their students to enter into into schools with others, other groups. Um, And they literally took their kids out of schools and then created private schools for a particular group so that they didn't have to have these students interact with one another. America doesn't have universal health care for the same reason because we didn't want, you know, various groups to be in the same hospital room together. And as a result of it, um, we have the highest rate of uh, death rate. We have, um, in some groups, that we have the highest uh, rate of uh, babies that are dying, and, and you know, when they're born and, and mothers alike. Um, mm. Our educational systems um, are far below the global standard, because of those choices that were made, you know, decades ago. Um, When we allow our unconscious bias to be the power and um, to be the tools in which uh, we're informed about how we interact with other people, we end up limiting ourselves. And basically, we end up Ruining our opportunity to really grow and evolve as individuals and especially as Christians.
1: Wow, that's powerful. And again, history has a way of repeating itself if we don't learn the lessons from the past, because the past can hinder our present and our future if we don't learn from what happened, as you stated, decades ago. Dr. Dr. G, same question. How does our unconscious biases drive our decisions and uh, actions.
4: So I I think I I jumped the gun a little bit and answered that before. Oh, no, no, (laughs) Uh, that's fine. I do apologize, Uh, but all there is left to say uh, is amen. (laughs) I I agree with uh, what Dr. Neely has shared. Okay. It really does limit us. Okay.
1: Well, let's move on to our next question then. Uh, Colonel Stewart, Colonel Stewart, you have been in law enforcement for almost 30 years. And certainly for our generation today, um, over the last decade or so, um, really with beginning with Trayvon Martin and Breonna Taylor and Philando Castillo and Michael Brown and last year, George Floyd, the challenges with, commit, with various communities and law enforcement has certainly been heightened and is a struggle for many people. And so, Colonel Stewart, what role would you say unconscious bias has played in the relationships between law enforcement professionals and people of color? Uh,
3: certainly, uh, Dr. Crew. And uh, and as I began to, to answer that question, I- I really want to circle back to the first two questions that you asked Dr. Neely and Dr. Gonzalez, and that is of what is unconscious bias. And, you know, and what I would add to that, that definition is, you know, it's where the brain, you know, it automatically tells us that we are safe with people who look like us, think like us and act similar to us. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, that type of mindset is the, is the crux to, even getting into diversity. uh, When you start talking about uh, people that only looks like us, think like us and act like us, uh, Mm -hmm. that's what the brain tells us. And as we looked at our actions and decisions, when I first became aware of this thing called unconscious bias, uh, I was in the military and I was serving Dr. Crew, Dr. Neely, Dr. Gonzalez Stu, I was serving on a centralized promotion board at uh, the Department of the Army level where we were selecting a group of men and women for the next level of promotion. And the instructions that we were given was that we were to select these people based off their performance and their potential. And so with that in mind, You know, how can we go wrong of selecting the right people for the right job? And so the moment that I clicked on the button, it gave us two screens. And the moment that I clicked on the button to begin the process, the first thing that came up was this photo of who they were. And on the next screen, right side by side of that was what they had accomplished in their career. So right up front, I've got a picture of who this person is. I begin to read their evaluation. That's supposed to tell me of what their performance is and what they potentials are. So now I've created this unconscious bias in my mind based off a of photo. So I've already sort of forgotten the instructions that I was supposed to be doing which was be based primarily on performance and potential. But no, I've got a photo up there. So guess what? If the person was a little, you know, uh, on the heavy side, okay, I got a thought in my mind. Okay, should they be promoted? If they was a little too skinny or too short or whatever the case may be. So this thing of unconscious bias and how it plays a role becomes very important when you look at law enforcement. And particularly when you start talking about policing in law uh, and people of color, we, we I think we have to take a little bit of a step back, if you will, and take a little historical journey about policing. So the father of policing is a gentleman by the name of Sir Robert Peel. And uh, Sir Robert Peel began policing back in England in Great Britain time. And he adopted it in, in America, where it started in Boston and as well as in the south but but as you can imagine we were divided in how we did policing uh, in both those geographical locations up in boston and in the south in boston primarily the job of the police was to protect commerce as things came into the port supplies came in and protect those economic uh advances and economic uh properties but in the south it wasn't that way the policing primarily was used as slave patrols. Mm. And so they were slave patrols. So when slave men and women of obviously of color would escape, slave patrol would go out and find and locate these slaves and bring them back all under the auspice of policing. So clearly when you view a class of people as just property, not as a human being, it creates a culture of division. So you create this culture, in many ways, this culture still exists today, but can be often done without possible intentions to do harm. So Dr. Crew, I had shared with you that I had recently sat down with a civil organization and I spoke to them a little bit about unconscious bias in policing. And what I typically do, Dr. Neely, Dr. G is showed two pictures. I showed him a picture of two male individuals holding a handgun. One of the individuals is a white male, and that white male is standing up. And the other is an African-American male, and he is kneeling down. But they both are pointing a weapon. And what happens is I, I asked them, hey, which one of these two individuals is the greatest threat to, to you? And without fail, whether whoever the crowd is, whether it's a, a crowd, a mixed crowd or a crowd of African-Americans or a crowd of Caucasian, they select the person kneeling. Every time they select the person kneeling, uh, and oftentimes I ask, well, why don't you select the person kneeling? And of course, they're not going to say it's because he's Black. It seems like, well, because he's kneeling, he's got the better aim to to, to shoot me. Uh, because he's kneeling, you know, it looks like his intentions uh, is to go ahead and use the weapon. When in reality, the answer to that question is they both pose a threat to you, whether he's standing or kneeling. But see, this is where the unconscious bias come into play Again, when we've created this culture of division from day one of policing, and even to now, what you see a threat. When well, it's quite interesting that even sometimes that when I show these pictures to African Americans, they select the black man wow. as the one that poses the threat wow. to them. Now, in that same vein, if I was asking them to 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 alleviate that threat then yes, maybe you can select the guy that's kneeling or the guy that's standing, you know, just depending on where you see it at. But we really have to take a step back and say, okay, why did I select that person? Uh, when we look at that culture, when we look at unconscious bias and we talked about the definition, is what that brain automatically tells me that, hey, why am I safe with this person? Why does this person not look like me, think like me and act like me? So now I'm gonna select the African-American and we have to start to, to change the culture of policing. We have to change that mindset of policing. I know we're gonna talk a little bit about that later with the key and, and, and interaction, but we really gotta change that culture, Dr. Crew.
1: Okay. Well, wow, that's, that's incredible information again from our history, you know, in this country and certainly other countries have some similar backgrounds. Thank you for sharing that. Well, in that same vein, let's let's stay in the same uh, vein, if you will, for this next question. And, And then Dr. Neely and Dr. G, I want to pull you back in after Colonel Stewart. I want to ask you this question. How then is accountability defined in law enforcement? And what does it look like?
3: I would tell you that. um, So, what does accountability look like in law enforcement and how it's defined? And so, you know, you have a governing body uh, for law enforcement. And I would just take here in Texas as an example. So, a governing body is supposed to be that body that sets the standards, that sets the policies, that sets the rules and regulations of how you're supposed to uh, govern yourself accordingly when it comes to policing. And in Texas, that organization is called the Texas Commission on Law Enforcement. Uh, We affectionately call it TCO. And so TCO, it has standards uh, that have been defined of what policing is supposed to be about and how a police officer is supposed to be selected. Uh, The the types of things that a police officer is supposed to go through even before they get out on the street. So, for example, uh, TECO would say that, uh, you know, they must take the peace officer exam. uh, That has to be a site exam done by obviously a licensed professional. In uh, some organizations, and some departments, they even <clears throat> take it a step forward a step further to give that applicant a uh, a polygraph, or as we say in in, in terms, a uh, lie detector test. And so, uh, when you start talking about the accountability, so there there are policies, rules, and regulations that meet the minimum requirement that a person needs to be uh, in order to become uh, uh a, a law enforcement officer. In my mind, the, the real accountability, uh, lies within yourself. Um, you know, it, that has to be some self evaluations of one's own action, uh, as relates to policing. you are you dealing with people of color? What are you dealing with people that look like you or not? there has to be some self accountability. And then additionally, uh, other officers that are that are with you and and superiors, you know, you have to hold these officers accountable for what they do and don't do. Um, you know, you've probably heard this thing called a blue wall or blue code of silence. You know, this unwritten rule about officers that take care of officers when officers misbehave, and, and 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 there's a little bit of truth to that. But I would tell you that by and large, the large percent of that, uh, large percent of law enforcement officers do not subscribe to that. Uh, and, and, and what's really making news today and what's really making headlines today is that minority group of officers that misbehave. Uh, and so, in accountability, and, and because there is no accountability with those kind of officers, and I say no accountability, but what I mean is, it seems to be no accountability because it keeps happening. Uh, and we see that over and over. Uh, and so what, what I would suggest, Dr. Cruz, and, and what it looks like is um, you have to you have to have a mentorship component when it comes to law enforcement, especially when you start talking about brand new officers coming into the force. You have to have a mentorship component. You know, get a mentor. Uh, to help guide you through uh, the process. And in that mentorship process, there has to be an authentic accountability between that officer and their mentor. That has to be a level of professional responsibility uh, when it comes to the accountability of law enforcement and what that is to look like uh, in our society today so that we can gain back the trust of our citizens, so we can gain back the trust mm. of our society, mm. then we can say, okay, we have in place a formalized process that takes an officer from day one of coming into the program to the day that they leave it or retire or whatever the case may be. But really and truly that mentorship is what it looks like, Dr. Crew. And again, that authentic accountability and that professional responsibility that we have to make sure that, hey, if we misbehave, I have a duty to intervene when an officer misbehave or officers misbehave, sir. Wow, that's that's a powerful perspective.
1: And, and again, I can recall, or, or let me ask you this question as well as we continue here. For those in any organizational setting, all it takes is one person to do something that's wrong and then it's released to the public. Now that whole organization is looked at, <laughs> you know, suspect. That's right. But right. those, because again, all of us know, I remember as a, as a 12-year-old kid growing up on the streets of Detroit, two police officers that used to pick me up every day Saturday morning, take me downtown to play basketball, then bring me back home. I'm riding around in the back of a police car at 12 years old. I'm thinking it's the coolest thing that I've ever experienced. And so what I understand now is that they did not want me to become a statistic. So they were investing in my life on purpose. And so- If there are any police officers listening to us tonight, Colonel Stewart, what would you say to that police officer that, like you, they get up in the morning, they are living by um, your creed, as I understand it, to protect and to serve and doing the best that they can, but yet because they're a police officer, when you have a police officer that, you know, of course, involved with the... You know, George Floyd types of incidents, the Breonna Taylor types of incidents. Now, every well, not everybody, but many people are looking at all officers in the same light of that officer that perhaps was, um, uh, did not follow the protocols that you're trained to do. What would you say to that officer that rises every morning living by, as I understand your national creed, to protect and to serve?
3: Oh, yes, sir. That definitely is the national uh, creed is to protect and to serve. But when you was giving your example, Dr. Crew, it took me back as well to as a kid back in in Mississippi. And and, and what you was describing, which is sort of a lost uh, art, if you will, what you were describing really is called community policing. And so and, and simply what that means is that, hey, I get to know the people in my community. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, as yeah. a police officer, because at the end of the day, when a police officer gets up, him or her gets up for the day, and and you know, we we sometimes have to keep in mind, and I think we lose focus of this is that they are human beings as well. Yeah. Their mothers, their fathers, their brothers, their sisters, their uncles, their cousins. You know, they have. You know, they have uh, spouses. And sometimes we, we tend, you know, we talked about it earlier, sometimes we tend not to view each other, whether you're a police officer or not, we, we tend not to view one another as human beings. And so we really have to get back to this thing of community policing. And so we can start seeing each other as human beings uh, and not police officers versus community police officers versus citizens police officers versus people of color yeah, and when we start yeah. to see that hey wow this police officer he or she is human wow this police officer does have a family wow this police officer does care about me and so when we start getting back into the community you know walking the beat you know as a term uh, bicycle to the beat, you know. Recently, and uh, and I'll do a shameless plug here for the uh, city of Harker Heights. Uh, recently, we we did a a uh, a uh, pops with coffee. I mean, cops pops with pop, uh, cops with pops. And what that simply means is that we went to a local park and just began to hand out popsicles to uh, kids. And you should have just. And we allowed the kids to get into the cars. We allow the kids to touch the horns, and we allow the kids to cut on the sirens, get up Ooh. on the vehicles. Yeah. And you, if you could just see these kids' faces, it yes. probably was the same way your face was when you was a crew yeah. kid back there <laughs> in Michigan. So we have yeah. to kind of start there. And we can this now, and I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but but really, when you start to look at that, the way that kid you know him him or her when that kid grows up they're gonna remember that yeah. that man this cop gave me a popsicle you know yeah. this yeah. this cop came and picked me up every saturday morning That's right. but why did that cop do that and that kid will start to remember that so we have to get back dr crew dr neely dr g and still we have to get back to this thing of community policing so we can stop uh, this thing of dehumanizing people and now start to see one another as human, just as Jesus saw the Samaritan woman as right. a human right. uh, and didn't dehumanize her, but saw her as a human and and met her right where she was. Right, absolutely. still like preaching right now.
1: I, I, I understand. I understand, sir. I really do. And since we've started tonight, and uh, I've heard you know the term, and we started, we just mentioned briefly the community connection, and uh, through uh, several responses from Dr. Neely and Dr. G already, and now here again, the whole idea of a community of unity. And so certainly for our listeners, we trust that that, that very rich theme is coming through loudly and clearly it's a community that's unified and uh has the potential to make our communities better so dr g let's start with you with this next question um and certainly with your many years in in psychology how would you uh, as a psychologist or educator how do we close the gap of the racial divide between law enforcement professionals and people of color? In other words, how do we build and strengthen trust as Colonel Stewart mentioned a few moments ago?
4: So my response to that is really very simple, but I'd like to go back just a little bit to your first question um, you had for Colonel Stewart about uh, the role of law enforcement and unconscious bias to say, because he mentioned it, and it really is an important part of this topic. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but the prefrontal cortex of the brain regulates people's conscious choice.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
4: In other words, it helps us to make sound, logical, good, reasonable decisions. Conversely, the basal ganglia, also called the reptilian brain, Uh, It governs our instinctual action or activity. It is the seat of our survival. And so the reptilian brain coupled with the unknown, unrecognized, unbridled, unconscious bias can lead to poor decision-making and inevitably harm as we've seen over the past year or more. It follows then that the more individuals come to recognize and understand their own implicit biases, the closer we can move, making conscious rather than rash decisions. And so as uh, Colonel Stewart was talking, it made me think a you know, law enforcement professionals face a tremendous amount of pressure. when it comes to unconscious bias. Now, this is just from a person on the outside. But again, I do like to ask the questions, why, why, why? So many times they have to face or make split decision, um, split second decisions. And it can make the difference between life and death. Unfortunately, what's perceived as life or death is clouded by then that unconscious bias of other people, mm. which leads right into uh, Colonel Lawrence's, uh, Colonel Stewart's um, sermon on community policing. <laughs> because in order to get over that, we need more experiences. Yeah, We need the kinds of, and there's another part of the, the brain, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, which is where we lodge those, those uh, memories of rewards and consequences. But We need more experiences that will get us to a place where we begin to see people as we ought to and not as we have perceived in our minds from lack of experience. Mm -hmm. And so we need positive experiences. That is my answer. And those experiences require intentional interaction. And Those interactions may come in any number of ways. So I don't think the way it comes is as important as having those interactions in the first place. Whether it's cops handing out popsicles in... The in the park, whether it's cops picking up kids and taking them for a ride, whether it's officer friendly coming to the school and and visiting kids in their classroom, however that happens, it simply needs to happen. We need positive interactions that will change our perceptions of each other.
1: That's, and it takes me back, your response takes me back to the foundation Jesus told his disciples, look, I've got to go through Samaria, whereas traditionally and historically, all Jews went around Samaria. But as you stated, it was intentional. Jesus had in mind that interaction with that woman. And so certainly that's a powerful perspective. Dr. Neely, same question for you. How do we close this gap of the racial divide between law enforcement professionals and people of color, or again, how do we establish trust across this divide?
2: I think the key goes back to what we've been talking about. Revival comes from that one interaction of relationship. And, and I think uh, Colonel Stewart said it time and time again through everything he said, um, there's gotta be a, a true north of what humanity looks like. What is,
1: mm.
2: what is humanity?
3: Yeah, that's and,
2: good. And I think that that, um, that Micah, um, six and eight, and I'm going to read it. Says okay, okay. That, he said he has told you, oh man, what's good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And I think our art job, whether whether um, civilian or officer, it is to love if we started with to to do justice and and walk humbly uh with god and to love kindness (laughs) what the cops and the pops was about it was about kindness yeah yeah. about restoring humanity on both sides
1: yeah yeah
2: i think if we go back to the word we have a a clear roadmap of how we can begin to close this divide It, it begins with this idea that you know of humanity and yeah. I really appreciate, appreciate Colonel Stewart for bringing that humanity into this conversation today.
1: Yeah. Well, well, that'll preach all day, Dr. Neely. You know, Micah 6 and 8. I mean, what does the Lord require? Not an option. And for us as as Christians, as believers, we have the responsibility to follow the pattern of God's word that will instruct us, guide us, and inspire us to reach across the racial divide. If I, if we, if we were able to interview those twelve disciples, because again they were they were amazed that Jesus was sitting there talking to this Samaritan, and of course we know, like us, they weren't perfect. They were being mentored. Jesus was modeling for them the way uh, to uh, share with people the life of God. And so these types of conversations are absolutely necessary. And so thank you, Dr. Neely, for that response as well. And so as we move into this next question then, uh, and and Colonel Stewart, we'll start with you. No, I'm sorry, I I would ask for you, sir, to also respond to that same question. How do we close the gap of the racial divide between law enforcement professionals and people of color? How do we do that, sir?
3: I, I, right up front, I say Dr. Neely and Dr. G has, has has really hit the head, nail on the head. And I would tell you that what, what I will summarize with this with this question is, is intense, intentionality, being intentional uh, about what we're trying to do when we start closing the gap. And so when I when we look at our foundational scripture here about what Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. Uh, when you look at what he did, he was intentional about what he was doing. Right. And, and we have to be intentional, uh, much like Jesus. He went against the cultural norms of that day. He went against the cultural norm, norms, and and just talked to one another despite our differences. And uh, you know that sounds very cliches, right? But but we really have to be intentional in what we do. Uh, a recent example is uh, a lot of people are familiar with the civil rights attorney, uh, Ben Crump. So, so Ben Crump, uh, historically, had a, he's known to represent families of color who has been uh, seemingly, uh, allegedly, whatever words you wanna put on it, uh, wronged by cops or, or wronged by uh, uh, the majority, if you will. But here recently, he went to the state of Arkansas, and he is representing a Caucasian family whose 17-year-old son, teenage son, was shot by the police uh, in Arkansas. And so when you look at that, you say, OK, Ben Crump is being intentional about justice for all people, not just people of color, but mm. justice for all people. Yeah showing that by his actions, by going to Arkansas and representing this family, who is a a, a Caucasian family, uh, who seemingly have been uh, unjustifiably shot. And again, I don't know all the details of, of that situation. I mean, that has to be worked out. But, but Ben Crump has been intentional about, hey, it's about justice for all people. All lives matter. And so as a result, I'm gonna show you by my actions as a civil rights attorney that, hey, I'm gonna represent whoever feels that they have been disenfranchised, whoever feels like they have been dehumanized. And so I will just end with what I started with. We have to be intentional when we start about when we talking about closing that gap of the racial divide between law enforcement of professors and people of color. You know, again, another shameless plug, Dr. Uh, you know, the Hawkeye Hawk Heights Police Department, we we're going to throw a citizen's police academy before, and we kind of stopped doing the, the pandemic. But the citizen's police academy is designed to bring in your everyday citizens, put them through what's considered to be a police academy. Uh, obviously, not any running and jumping and that kind of thing, but really expose them to what a police officer goes through. Yeah. And they graduate, they get a certificate. And so, again, it brings the community into the law enforcement world and get to see the human side of what a police officer go through. But also what, a you know, and Dr. G talked about the split seconds decisions that police officers have to make. Would they be put into those same similar scenarios? And so, if you're interested, come on out. Uh, you can look for it on our Facebook advertisement, but the Citizen Police Academy. And again, it's community policing, Dr. Crew. Yes, sir. And, you know, I just want to go back to a comment that
1: Dr. G had made about what law enforcement uh, officers, that split second decision, that split second decision that many officers. You know, have to have to make with uh, with that, and so certainly, you know, what you're sharing with us the opportunity to come out and be a part of a police officer's world, because it for community relationship building. I just think that that's a great opportunity, a great opportunity. So we want to thank you all for all that you uh, have shared with us thus far. Uh, We've got one last question. I hope we've got time to go around with everyone because this last question, as we've talked about uh, how to reach across the racial divide and and how to uh, stay on target with our uh, community connections, it is imperative that we understand that um, the only thing that's going to change is if we change it. Or to make change, change has got to occur. And so with this last question, who is responsible for closing the gap and who takes the lead or the first step? So let me just throw this out to our panel. So um, again, who's responsible for closing the gap and who takes the lead or the first step in how we're going to reach across the racial divide. Anyone?
4: I think everyone is responsible for closing the gap. And it's the believer who should take the lead. The world's going to do what it's going to do. But as believers who follow after Christ, it's up to us to take the lead. In a weekly message, to his congregation, Pastor Tony Evans of Oaklick Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, described what he calls the kingdom race theology, mm. (KRT). KRT, he said, is the reconciled recognition, affirmation, and celebration of the divinely created ethnic differences through which God displays his multifaceted glory as his people justly, righteously, and responsibly function personally and corporately in unity under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As believers, then we acknowledge and celebrate our differences because they come from God but not only the differences among other believers but this entire world and if we will operate in unity under God's lordship then as you said Dr. Cole look if there is if if there's a disconnect within the community there will be chaos but when there is unity under the lordship of Jesus Christ as believers we can set the
1: pace for
4: closing the gap. Amen. Amen. Well, y'all have certainly been preaching
1: on this broadcast tonight. That's some good preaching there. Dr. Neely, would you uh, have anything to add to this final question? Who's responsible for closing the gap and who takes a lead or the first steps?
2: Uh, I think we are definitely, the Christian is responsible for closing the gap. The word in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 tells us that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Amen. So God has called us to to even to take our unconscious bias captive and to um, to in order for us to be um, in uh in in obedience to him so that Amen. At others and love them and do what we're called to do in this world and make an impact.
1: Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for tuning in to this second segment of How to Reach Across the Racial Divide. Stu, it's always a pleasure to be with you, my brother. And once again, we want to thank all of our listeners. And just as a last, as a parting remark from me, Brother Stu, this. This evening, ladies and gentlemen, is our last broadcast on KRGN Radio. I would like to thank the station owners, Ron and Mimi Grace, for the opportunity, and to you, Stu, my brother, and the triumphant praise broadcast for the opportunity as well. Making a Difference Through Mentorship is moving to StreamYard and Spotify Green Room for future broadcasts. If you would like information on how to connect with us on StreamYard and Spotify, send us an email at info at Gregory, G-R-E-G-O-R-Y, Cruel, C-R-U-E-L-L, info at GregoryCruel.com. And we'll be happy to share that information with you. And also you can connect with us on our Making a Difference Through Mentorship Facebook page, where this information will also be shared And it will be posted on our page, www.facebook.com forward slash Greg, G-R-E-G-C-R-U-E-L-L. One more time, www.facebook.com forward slash Greg, G-R-E-G, Cruel, C-R-U-E-L-L. Thank you very much for being with us here. Stu, we're back in your hands, my brother.
0: Amen, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. Dr. Crew, as I add on to that, I would just like to tell the people an encouragement to follow the anointing. Amen, y'all heard what Dr. Crew said. He's gonna be on the the next uh, platforms. And so we are so grateful for what you have imparted to the KRG and family, Dr. Crew. No doubt about it. He's not a stranger, and he will not continue to be a stranger at all. He won't. Amen. We're gonna have him periodically back on the broadcast just to breathe on each and every last one of us. Amen. All right, my dear sisters and brothers, we're we'll looking here. I'm getting ready to go ahead and close out the broadcast in its entirety because I got to go breathe on a two-piece and a biscuit. Amen. <laughs> so thank y'all so much for tuning in to the broadcast. God bless you. Have a triumphant rest of your evening. Now, if anybody got some hot sauce, please meet me at KFC. I love you. God bless you. Peace.